You are listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bonace, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bonace. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. Just as things settle down a little bit, I just want you to watch this wee advert and put your hands up afterwards to say if you remembered it or not. How many of you remember that advert? What? Any of you? Okay, okay, about four or five of you. Fantastic. Squirt for squirt, ferry is a better economy than other washing up liquids. And it's absolutely true, isn't it? Because if you just get Tesco's own, we all know it's a little bit rubbish. And uh, so it's a... I better be careful saying that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll just scrub that out of the podcast so that I can't get done for libel or anything like that. But, um, but Fairy is, like, we're not endorsing any particular companies over others, but Fairy Liquid is the way forward. But that whole thing of false economy, you know if you get the cheapest bin bags, they're just rubbish and... <laughs> ironically, and uh, they, they, they just like let you down, don't they? So it's always worth spending a little more. And I think about how much money I've wasted on cheap products, okay? Um, because I was trying to save money. So there's a good reason behind it. I hold back my money a little bit because I'm thinking, I don't need to spend that much for a pair of shoes. I don't need to spend that much for a coat. But actually, the reality is, if I buy the cheap, rubbishy shoes, I go through them like nobody's business. And actually, if I just bought a better pair in the first place, it would have uh, lasted a bit longer. So bin bags, electronics, kitchen roll, toilet paper. Always go for three-ply, you know, don't scrimp and save on toilet paper. Some things are very important. Because otherwise, it can be a waste of money, a waste of time, a waste of effort. And I wonder how much time or money or effort might you have wasted buying the wrong, wrong products or seeking the wrong things or doing wrong or worthless or less worthwhile things. Now, spiritually, here we go. If we live for our own worth, we waste it. But... If we waste our lives for Jesus, it's worth it. I'll say that again. If we live our life for our worth, we waste it. But if we waste our life for Jesus, it's worth it. And Jesus says it like this in Matthew 10 and and in Matthew 16, almost identical. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Just a couple of chapters later, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So to pursue life in all of its fullness on our own terms is false economy. And I wonder if we get to the end of that, have we got something that's really worthwhile, worth showing for the time that we've put in? Now, Before I get into the message today, I just want to read you this. This is incredible. This was from Archbishop Francis John McDowell during the service of reflection in Northern Ireland for Her Majesty the Queen. Uh, And he said this. um, It was a longer message than this, and you can find the whole thing online. But he says, uh, he, he refers to the Queen in her Christmas Day 2017 uh, message. She said this, although we are capable of great acts of kindness... History teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness and greed. God sent into the world a unique person 
neither a philosopher nor a general, important as they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, and it can reconcile divided communities. Particularly poignant that this was in Ireland. It can restore friendships, reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. And then he says, after, at her baptism, Elizabeth Alexandra Mary was signed on her forehead with the sign of sacrifice, the cross. And for 96 years, in a life which was a prodigy of steady endeavor, she offered herself, her soul, and her body as a living sacrifice to God, to the God who loves her with an everlasting love. That's quite a testimony to a person, isn't it? To say that for 96 years, they lived sacrificially, serving the people around them and serving the God to whom they had been dedicated. And I think, don't those words reflect a life that was worth living, one of sacrifice and service? Would you say her life was worth it, or did she waste it? But the thing is, even as queen, she didn't get to take her earthly riches or her titles or crowns, but she lay hold of a greater prize, the crown of life presented by the king of life. Worth it, absolutely worth it. So what about you? What about me? What about us? What would worth it look like? for us? What would it be, what would it mean to waste it? What would the measure of success be? When you get to that point, what would the measure of success be in our lives as evidence of a life well spent? It's quite a heavy thing to consider early on a Sunday morning, but we're going to dive back into scripture. We're into Philippians 2, and I just want to recap the verses from last week, uh, and then we'll dive into our text for this week. So Paul said, do everything without grumbling. This is Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation, and then you will shine like stars uh, among them in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of faith. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. In other words, Paul is saying, totally worth it. 100%, despite it all, it was worth it. Now, before we really get into gear today, there's a couple of things I just want to point out to put this into context. You know, I say this every week, it's a letter, Paul's writing, he's addressing some specific things here. But the thing that I want to point out first is that and then at the top there, because the and then links those two verses to these two verses. He's saying it follows on, it relates to the previous, but in particular, hold on firmly to the word of life. If you 
hold on firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast. Now, there's two parts to holding fast. Believing and following. It's like James says, faith without action behind it is dead. It's not simply that we believe, but we believe, and that changes our trajectory. It changes the way we've been heading. And so Paul is able to boast, this is his joy, because of their genuine and outworking faith. It's evidence that his ministry has been purposeful and worthwhile. You know, I don't, as a minister, want to stand and just come and have a load of people go, oh, you, you spoke a nice message. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's really, I, I want this to change us, transform us. I want the power of God to be upon the weakness of Tom Workman. So that as I speak and my words are flawed, but somehow the Spirit imparts that to your hearts. Not so that you can go, great, that's it. I believe that. I'm a Christian. Wonderful. But so that it changes something in our trajectory. That it changes the focus of our life. Because I want you to be able to get to that day, that day of Christ, and be able to say, worth it. And so that day of Christ that he talks about, there's a day coming. Paul's already told us when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and all will stand before God. It's, It's a day that will take people by surprise. Even if we're expecting it, it will come like a thief in the night. And if you want to reference 2 Peter 3.10 or 1 Thessalonians 5.2, talks about that, the Lord's day coming like a thief. You, you don't know when the thief's going to come and break in. If you did, you could be there, you could be prepared, but you won't know. But Paul also talks about, in, in chapter 1, we've been there already, those wonderful verses about the good work that God has begun that will be brought to completion on the day of Christ. And so there's this day coming. And perhaps it's also important to note that that good work that has been commenced in your life and that is going to be brought to completion on that day of Christ, that good work is God's appointment. It's his anointing upon you. It's what he is doing. Uh, It's his work in us and to us as children of God. Uh, and as Paul says in Ephesians 2:10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works. Believer, you are created in Christ to do good works. We're not saved by those good works. We're, we're not given extra brownie points for those good works. They're appointed for you to do, and then the life of following in obedience of Christ, you will naturally do those good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so that's the backdrop. Now let's dig into these couple of verses, because I I think there's some really important things here. And the first thing, I want to dig into two key phrases. Brace yourselves, we're going to get a little bit technical in this. But the first phrase is, to run or labour in vain. Now, I'm not going to speak out the Greek, partly because my pronunciation is awful, partly because you don't really need to hear the pronunciation of it. But there's two words here, run or labor in vain. Run also means to strive or progress. It's it's not about a casual jog. 
It's not if you're a Strava fan, it's not about you know, getting yourself a Strava goal and trying to close a loop around the town as you jog or cycle, you nutters. Why would you do that, <laughs> honestly? And then to labor also means to, to toil or to tire, to kind of wear ourselves out a little bit. So it's not simply a case of, oh, I did my bit. <laughs> It's actually that we we labor and we toil and we tire for something. So it's more like he's saying here, I gave it everything. But but the word that most caught my attention in this little cluster here is the word vain. Firstly, because in the Greek, vain is actually used twice. Uh, And so it would read, not in vain run, nor in vain labor. Now that sounds a bit crazy, so let's put that, flip that into English. So what he's saying is, I don't want to run in vain or labor in vain. Why does he use that word, that exact same word twice? I don't want to run in vain, I don't want to labor in vain. Well, well the word for vain can mean void, ineffective, worthless, or empty-handed. So basically, it's like saying, and then because you're holding on to the word of life, I will be able to boast that I didn't run, strive, or progress in an empty-handed, ineffective way. Uh, And nor did I toil and tire myself out worthlessly and empty-handed. Because there is a way that we can toil and wear ourselves out worthlessly, right? And yet, Paul's saying, I don't want that to be true. And if you are holding on to the word of life, then it means that all of my labor, all of my toil, all of my sweat and tears, worth it. What did Paul have in his hand? He had a commission to go to the Gentiles and preach the word of God to to non-Jewish people, and also to preach the word of life that he's just asked them to make sure they're holding on to. That's his commission. That's what's in his hand, to preach the word of life. And it might not seem like much. You know, maybe sometimes people are like, but Lord, you should, you should see what I can do with a set of nunchucks. <laughs> like, you, you should see what I can do with a guitar, Lord. You should... You should see what I can do with a hammer and chisel, Lord. I can do great. But, but actually, what Paul, what Paul has in his hand is the word of God. And it's actually the power of God to salvation. All of the tools that he could have employed to be a great public speaker, to be like a, a, a million hits on Instagram kind of guy, all of the things that Paul could have done for that, and yet what he had in his hand was the word of life, which is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel. Now, something that may seem small and insignificant in our hands is a power tool if God placed it there. An example of that elsewhere in the Bible is when Moses, God asks Moses to go before the elders of Israel and subsequently before Pharaoh to say, you know, let my people go. That, you know, that whole story of the Exodus in Exodus 4. And Moses is afraid. And he says, but what if they don't believe me? And the Lord says to him, what's in your hand? And it was just a staff. I forgot I was going to get David's little stick out this morning as well. I know John used that, but 
You know, just, it was just a staff. It was a, a lump of wood. And yet, yielded to God, that staff became a mighty tool. It's a staff that defied Pharaoh and all of his intellectuals and sorcerers. It's a staff that caused water to gush from a rock. It's a staff that split the sea. And so the people, the, the, the rescue of God's people could be affected through the sea. And it began with Moses wading in and popping his staff there. Just a staff. And yet when God has appointed that thing in your hand, there is power upon it, my friends. There is power upon it. If we take a hold of the word of life, we find it to be a firmer hand that actually rescues us, quenches our thirst, and actually holds us fast. If you hold fast to the word of life, the word of life will hold you fast. The second phrase is this one, poured out like a drink offering. Now this is, I've got my proper geek on here because this is really interesting. I actually, I I did an interlinear on my my, uh, Bible software that I've got. And because I'd like to do that every so often, John's a bit more geeky, but he doesn't actually need to do it because it's just intrinsic, he knows it already. But the really interesting thing here is that in the NIV, there are nine words, poured out like a drink offering, okay? I am being poured out like a drink offering, in fact. Nine words in the Greek, one word. I am being poured out like a drink, uh, a drink offering, one word, which has to do with the pouring out, the offering of wine or liquid to a god. If you were in the Hebrew culture, Roman culture, Greek culture, that would have been actually quite familiar to you, this idea of pouring out upon a sacrifice uh, wine or, or some liquid that, that was an extra kind of layer of sacrifice, and, and it involved pouring out onto the ground or onto an altar onto an animal sacrifice or a grain sacrifice. But also, it's a vivid illustration of the outpouring of one's life. You could say that Jesus was poured out like a drink offering. And when he lifted that cup, before he went to the cross, he was lifting a picture of his life that would be poured out for you and for me. And here Paul is saying, in similar terms, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering in devotion and service and sacrifice, he's saying, worth it. Worth it. Uh, Some examples of that drink offering, apart from, obviously, the main one is Jesus, and you look at that. But when you look at God changing Jacob's name to Israel, and, and he reaffirms the promises to, to Jacob that he made to his father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. And Jacob responded as such. In Genesis 35, 14, it says, Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had t- talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering upon it. He also poured oil on it. There's a layer of devotion When we worship, I believe that's something of pouring out of ourselves in in worship, in adoration. It's on top of what we do. You know, the worship that we do here is really meaningless if there's not a living sacrificial kind of worship going on in our lives Monday all the way through to Sunday. David 
when he asked his mighty men to go and get some water from him from a very particular place. I'm not going to go into this, another message. But these guys, they, they really risk life and limb and they go and get... It's like, it's like if I'm in a I don't know, prison somewhere and I'm like, I just want a Mars bar. Somebody please go. And somebody risks life and limb to go and get me. And, and they came back with this water, having risked life and limb. And, and what did David do with it? He, he said, I can't drink that. I'm unworthy of drinking that because of your sacrifice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour it out as an offering to God. It sounds wasteful, but actually it's this delightful kind of like, I just want to give this back. You know, when Jesus pours the love of God out upon you, our role is to pour it out back to him. I think it's really, I want to share with you this Greek word because I think there's something quite profoundly important. So the word, the one word that replaces the nine words, I am being poured out like a drink offering, the one word is spendomai, or it's from the, the root of spendo. That, okay, maybe you're thinking, yeah, what? It's not how much you've spent to buy a you know, packet of Speedos or something like that, spendo. Okay, spendomai, it means spent. Like, literally spend everything for Jesus. That's what Paul is saying by pouring out like a drink offering. I have exhausted everything. I've spent everything on behalf of Jesus and on behalf of the church. It's like a few weeks ago we sang the song, Reckless Love. And it's a controversial song because a lot of people say, oh, God's not reckless. You know, I've had conversations with some of you about this. But Timothy Keller in his book about the prodigal God, talking about the father in the story, he points out that the Merriam-Webster dictionary, actually, if you look up reckless there, it says to, uh, prodigal, sorry, there, it's, it says to be recklessly spendthrift, to give everything, to pour out everything, to spend everything. And when Jesus poured out his life, he spent everything on account of you and I. Everything. And there's only really one fitting response to that. You know, if you go to Mark 14 and you look from verses sort of 3 to 10, you see this beautiful story when Jesus is having a meal in Bethany and he's reclined at a table in the home of Simon the leper. And it says a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. I mean, what's the average wage now? In this country, 25, something like that, 25 grand. I mean, imagine a perfume that cost a year's wages. And you just bring it along to Jesus and you're like, pour it out because I love you so much. I honor you so much. I, I, I value you so much. I want to pour out everything. This, this costly, expensive item, I want to pour it out for you. But these people rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, they said. Uh, leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing, pouring out. For Jesus, a life is not wasted if it's poured out in fragrant service 
of the King of Kings. And it's perhaps important to note that to pour out on the correct sacrifice, we we don't get to choose where we pour out the the works, the good works that God has created for us, uh, his works that he's created for us to do. We don't come up to God and say, God, I've got a good idea. I wonder if you could make this one of my good works for me. I wonder if I could serve you in this way. No, it's the other way around. God says, I've prepared this for you to do. What is that thing? Now, back to that story in Bethany. There, There was another person mentioned in that story. There were the grumblers. How could she waste so much? And this other person is one who would wastefully spill his very own life. And Judas, who we presume was among those complainers because just a a few verses later, he betrays Jesus for a few coins. What an utter tragedy. For him to have run and labored with Jesus, one of his disciples, to have seen, to have walked with Emmanuel physically, and, and yet to end his life with nothing to show for. And the reason is because he made it all about himself and all about his own advancement. That's somebody who physically walked alongside Jesus, who beheld his actual face. And if Judas can make that horrifying and terrible mistake, how easy is it for us? And, and I want to say that because that, that softens it a little bit for you if you struggle to yield your life fully to Jesus. You haven't seen him face to face, but look, we want to show you who Jesus is. We, we want to give you the sense of this is what it is to walk with Jesus in your life. And on the flip side of Judas, Paul's confidence for that day when he stands in front of God was in how he spent his life. So how has Paul spent his life? Poured out entirely for Jesus and his church. Listen, I'd rather die poor but secure in the Lord's field than rich but alone in my own. So, not running or laboring in vain, being poured out like a drink offering, altogether Paul is saying something like, I don't want to have run or strived or progressed or toiled and tired myself out empty-handed for no purpose with nothing to show for. But because of your genuine faith and holding fast to God's word, if that is indeed true that you do hold fast, I am happy to be utterly spent and poured out my faith on top of yours for the glory of God. It's being completely worth it. That's how I'd paraphrase that. Completely worth it. And this is, bear in mind, the distinct possibility that Paul is facing down his own end, physically, here. Having been beaten and shipwrecked and whipped and mocked and imprisoned, having been cold and hungry and completely shattered and tired out, his reflection is of a life worth living, uh, worth rejoicing over. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And by the way, he's not in this condemning a simple or easier life. 
He's not condemning anyone who wants to just get to retirement and have those nice, easy years. Paul's not saying that. And he's not saying that if you're not beaten and shipwrecked and, and mocked and scorned, then your life isn't worth it. He's not saying that. But he's saying with these things that have come alongside as he's pursued Christ wholeheartedly, he's saying totally worth it. And I encourage you to do the same. Follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Pour yourself out for Jesus 100%. Was his life worth it, or did he waste it? Well, I think the evidence that Paul's life is worth it is here. And in every church and everywhere of of the two billion Christians in the world today, thereabouts, that's evidence that Paul's life was worth it. Here we are, Gentiles in a Western world, because Paul took the word of life to the Gentiles. So let's flip this back to us. Worth it or waste it? Oh, I meant to show you those. Thank you. Worth it or waste it? Will we too be able to boast that we didn't run empty-handed? What, what do you have in your hand? That of course... We're all going to get to that day and be physically empty-handed. We don't get to take any of our stuff with us, okay? Naked we came into the world, naked we're going to leave. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, that's how it's going to be. So nothing that we accrue for ourselves in this life, however much you've got in your account, right now, whatever it is you're looking to put in your account, or, and whether that's financial or a different type of account, none of it gets to go with you. But equally, there's nothing that you or I can do to earn salvation or even earn the affection of Christ. So, so when we give account on the day of Christ, for us as human beings, our cash will not be counted Our wardrobe will not be admired. Our houses will not be appraised. Our career moves will not be regarded. Our qualifications will not be required. Actually, about qualification and achievement, there's only one qualification for heaven, and you didn't earn it. It's like an honorary degree. In fact, it's better than that, because Jesus has earned it on your behalf, and all you have to do is take hold of the word of life. Hold it firmly. Now, for me as a minister, on that day of Christ, I don't think I'm going to be asked how big did Riverview get. And to be honest, I don't care. Like, I literally, I I know that uh, maybe a lot of ministers will say that. I don't care. (laughs) But actually, like, I just want my church to be a bit bigger or whatever. But I, I literally don't care. What I care about more is the depth to which we go rather than the breadth to which we go as a church here. I'm not going to get asked how many buildings did you purchase or build. I'm not going to get asked how big was the bank account or how many employees did you have. I think we'll be asked, did you receive Jesus and the good news of his kingdom and how did you respond? That's what you'll be asked. What did you do with what I gave you? with what I put in your hands, with what I appointed you for. So what is it that you should have in your hand? Because empty-handed, 
Believer, most certainly not. If you look again at the text, Paul talks about a firm grasp on the word of life. The word of revelation given through scripture, which is the inerrant word of God, which reveals the glorious gospel of Jesus by which we are saved by grace. Made alive in him. That's what you have in your hand. First and foremost, that's what you have in your hand. That's what's worth it. That is what is of value. That is what you can take from this life into eternity. The word of life. Hold on to it. It will hold on to you even stronger than your grip could ever be. Empty-handed, but alive in your hands. In your hand and on your heart are the very words of God, words of life. But what will we do with it? Will we, like the church in Ephesus, start strong but forget our first love? Or perhaps like the church in Laodicea, will we become lukewarm and and, and poor? Actually, Jesus points out they're rich but in all the wrong places. What is of value? What is worth it and what is wasted? Or or maybe like the goats to Jesus' left in that story of the sheep and the goats. Those who come and say, Lord, Lord. They even use the terminology. Didn't we do this in your name? The thing is, doing without holding firmly to that word of life and being held by that word of life, doing is worthless. Waste it. You could be the busiest church person for your whole life. If you haven't received and got a grasp on that word of life, it's wasteful completely. So will we run and labor gospel in hand and pour ourselves out as living sacrifices? Will we be about the king's business, sharing the good news of the kingdom to the lost and the poor and the broken, faithfully and diligently investing the word of life? That's your job and my job as believers. And this is what it means for us to have lived a life that is worthwhile and to have not run empty-handed. I just want to finish by kind of looking at these works what, what does this look like practically? I mean, firstly, go back to last week, and if you missed it, go to the podcast. There were three things that I said were really helpful to do. One is refocus, take ourselves back to Father God and keep doing that. The next one was about rhythm. Like if you, if you miss a beat in that, if you miss a day, or if you, if you feel that you're kind of getting distant from God, then all you have to do is turn around and, and come back and get the rhythm going again and then reverse the way that the world does things and do things the way the, the, the kingdom does things. But specifically, what are these good works? Well, listen, some of them will only be known between you and God. Some of the things God's appointed for you will only be known between you and God. And some may not even be known by you. Even though God's appointed them to you, you won't know what it is that's bearing fruit in your life all the time. But 
by sticking close to Jesus, with a close walk with Jesus, by allowing the Holy Spirit to have rule and, and the space in your life, you will naturally be living out the fruit of his spirit. You will naturally be pouring out the life of Christ. You will naturally be demonstrating the word of life in the community where you are. And through that, just by being you, as a child of God in your workplace or in the shop or in, in the park, walking dogs with other people, whatever it is, by being, shining like stars in the sky, by being who you are, believer, follower, child of God, you will be outworking God's good purposes in your life. Uh, the other thing about these good works is they'll be individual and specific to you, but there are characteristics that are like the signature of God upon them. There are certain things that are the works of the kingdom to which you have been called to co-labor with me and the church across the world for which your good works have been appointed. Listen, there are opportunities Actually, scrub that. There are responsibilities, both individually and corporately. And Isaiah 58 says this really well. To loose the chains of injustice. That's the church's job. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. To share your food with the hungry. To provide the poor wanderer with shelter or to clothe the naked. That's why things like warm spaces matters. That's why the pantry matters. That's why when we go to Ukraine and share love with our brothers and sisters, that's why it matters. Because we're sharing everything. We're pouring out everything to share it with our brothers and sisters around the world and to share it with the poor and the lost and the oppressed and to see chains breaking, to see people being set free, to see the, the strongholds of the enemy be torn down. Everywhere where we find them raised up, that is your job and that's my job as we walk with Jesus Christ. A life of service and self-sacrifice is never wasted. Life is wasted if it's hoarded or spent entirely on ourselves, our dreams, our wants. That's false economy. But a life that is spent and poured out for Jesus is never False economy. Now, as I wrap this up, it might sound exhausting to you, but I've got to do all this stuff, like set the oppressed free and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and, and do this and this and this, to, and just exhaust myself, pour myself out for people. Like, that sounds really exhausting or overwhelming, but this isn't about busyness. It's not about doing everything. As I've said, we can exhaust ourselves doing the wrong things. You can't do everything that needs done. You're not supposed to do everything that needs done. You're not supposed to fill every gap where you see it. Actually, you're supposed to be on your knees and and just say, God, what do you want? What do you want? You're only asked to do what God asks of you. But rest assured, he most certainly has appointed good works for you. For you, whoever you are, wherever you are, However old you are, young you are, however strong or weak you feel, rich or poor, healthy or unhealthy, like God's appointed for you something that benefits his kingdom 
and really holds on to his word of life. And then Isaiah says, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will call and the Lord will answer. Cry for help and he will say, here I am. Your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like noonday. Who wants a bit of that? I want to be able to stand before, in fact, let's all stand. (laughs) I want to be able to stand before Jesus on that day and say that I didn't sweat or strain ineffectively or toil empty-handed, but that I took hold of that for which he prepared in advance for me. I, I don't believe that I must do everything or be involved in every mission and ministry. I mean, how would that be possible? And I don't want to get stuck or entrenched in my own ideas or desires of how I want to serve him. I don't want to dictate to God what it is that I will do for him and his church but I want to expend myself utterly for that for which I am utterly convinced he has called me to empty handed but alive in his hands don't waste it make it worth it and you'll receive the crown of life